This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Announcing Mind Over Murder, a new true crime podcast. You're listening to the Mind Over Murder podcast. My name is Bill Thomas. I'm a writer, consulting producer, and now podcaster. I am now trying to use my experience as the brother of a murder victim to help other victims of violent crime. I'm working on a book on the unsolved Colonial Parkway murders, and I'm the co-administrator of the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook group, together with Kristen Dilley. My name is Kristen Dilley. I'm a writer, a researcher, a teacher, and a victim's advocate, as well as the social media manager and co-administrator for the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook page with my partner in crime, Bill Thomas. Join us each week as we explore new true crime cases, as well as introduce you to experts from a variety of fields in the true crime space. You're listening to the Mind Over Murder podcast. Available on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. How are you today, Tim? How's everything going? How's life? You know, it's it's fine. It's good, actually. I cannot complain. I'll take your line. Uh, I can't complain, Lance. I'm especially happy that we have on our friend and colleague on this episode. His name is Robin Warder, and we discuss his podcast a little bit, The Trail Went Cold, but specifically one moment. Actually, uh, I'll just go ahead and call it the tweet heard round the true crime sphere. Uh, it was uh, written by Robin from his The Trail Went Cold podcast account at Robin underscore Warder. Do you want to read it, Lance? Sure. Uh, The tweet reads, Yesterday, this man was indicted for the 1984 murder of 12-year-old Jonelle Matthews, so it's horrifying to see that he's one of my Patreon supporters. He's a patron for a couple of true crime podcasts, but I'm the only one who covered Jonelle Matthews' case, so yikes. And below that is a picture of former gubernatorial candidate from Idaho, Steve Pankey. Yeah, I remember seeing this and then reaching out to Robin to, you know, ha- ask how he was doing because I-, I would imagine this would shake him and I would think this would if this if we were in this position. Absolutely. It's quite a reality check as we discuss with Robin in this interview. Uh, the responsibility that he took upon himself to even put that out there uh, was more like a public service announcement and a reminder, like I said, a reality check for anybody who's doing true crime podcasting. You're talking about real crimes with real people and real criminals and real victims. And sometimes those families of victims listen to these true crime podcasts. The one thing that never really settled in or 
uh, I personally had never really come to terms with was that the criminals might actually listen to these podcasts. Never really thought about that on a serious level. They do. And sometimes they contribute to them, too. Yeah, I think you're right, Lance. Uh, they do, and I think that is kind of something that maybe we've blocked a little bit or or don't want to like uh, face head on, uh, some of us creators, but really us as well. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting conversation with Robin, kind of discussing that and how prevalent that could be in this true crime landscape that we uh, we work in, Lance. And to be clear, Stephen Pankey was arrested, but he has not yet been convicted of the murder of Jonel Matthews. He did volunteer DNA to police uh, in order to prove his innocence. That's right. And the crime is the murder of 12-year-old Jonel Matthews. She was uh, 12 in 1984 when she went missing, for, really from her house in a neighborhood. And uh, then just earlier this year, 25 years, almost 25 years after she had last been seen, her body was found at an oil and gas site not too far from where she lived. All right, I hope you enjoy this conversation and check out Robin's show, The Trail Went Cold. Thanks a lot for listening. Oh, and stay tuned for our true crime riddle game at the end of this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Robin Warder. How are you today, Robin? Uh, very good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Can't complain. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how busy are you? Are, has everything just picked up for you? I feel like uh, I feel like you got a lot going on right now. Well, I, I even though I'm a podcaster, I still work a full time job. But uh, thankfully, I'm currently working from home, so I can balance doing that and working on the podcast and do this interview at the same time. <laughs> well, great. Uh, your podcast, The Trail Went Cold, is excellent. And uh, I imagine the the new Netflix releases of Unsolved Mysteries have kept you extra busy, too. Oh, definitely. I still remember when the uh, original came out in July and I was getting all these requests to cover the cases that were featured on there. I've already done an episode of the Ray Rivera case. And in a couple of weeks, I'm releasing an episode about the Patrice Endress case, which was on the first season. And now I'm already planning to do episodes on some of the ones that just came out on the second season. Great. And can you explain the premise of your uh, podcast, The Trail Went Cold? Okay, well, it's been around uh, nearly five years now. It started in February of 2016. It uh, is a weekly podcast that covers a different cold case on every single episode. And the format is that the first half of the episode, I talk about the facts of the case, what happened. And then the second half, I talk about potential theories and analysis about what might have taken place. And of course, I feature a lot of cases that were uh, featured on Unsolved Mysteries. And what, what was it about Unsolved Mysteries that really drew you in? I mean, it's a pretty obvious answer, I guess, but uh, you were obviously a fan of it when you were younger, the original series with Robert Stack. Is that sort of the genesis of it, or was it just the appeal of it uh, that, that you keep going back to uh, years ago when you, were, when you were younger watching this and being just enthralled by the mystery of the whole thing? Yes, I always credit it as... Uh bringing up my interest in true crime because I originally watched it in the late 80s when it was on TV and other than America's Most Wanted and a few other shows, that's pretty much all we had to uh, whet our appetite for true crime. It's not like today. And uh, I always had an interest in the show, and I always went to a message board to discuss theories about the cases that were still unsolved. And at the time I started this podcast in early 2016, you could not watch the show anywhere. 
It seemed like whenever anyone tried to upload the old episodes onto YouTube, they would immediately get taken down for copyright reasons. But about a year after I started the podcast, they, uh, a company called FilmRise acquired the digital distribution rights and released them on Amazon Prime and eventually YouTube. And now, nowadays, anyone can watch the old episodes. They have all the seasons available at your disposal. And I think that's only increased interest in the podcast because people will watch a segment about an unsolved case, look for more information online, and then they'll come up uh, with a Trail Went Cold episode about it because I often go more in-depth into these cases and reveal information that were not mentioned on the original TV episode. What were were some of your early ones, uh, before we get into the meat of our discussion, what were some of the earlier ones that stayed with you that you decided those would be the ones you covered a little bit more in depth on the podcast, like as you were planning your podcast? Well, if you go uh, online now, the very first Robert Stack hosted episode available, uh, it features a story about a woman named Aileen Conway a housewife from Oklahoma who died in a mysterious car crash. And uh, at first they wrote it off as just a simple accident, but there were just so many details about the case which made no sense because when her husband returned home that day, he found like the, the bathtub had been left full, the garden hose was running, the iron was left on. And uh, the spot where she uh, her car crashed was in a, on a remote country road, which she had never traveled to before. There was no reason for her to be there. So uh, he suspected that she had been abducted and become a victim of foul play, but they never found any evidence to lean in either direction. And to this day, over 30 years later, we're still no closer to solving it and figuring out what happened. So that's why I decided to make it the subject of the very first episode of The Trail Went Cold. Recently, you had kind of a a really startling revelation on Twitter. Um, On October 14th, you tweeted, Yesterday, this man was indicted for the 1984 murder of 12-year-old Jonelle Matthews. So it's horrifying to see that he is one of my Patreon supporters. He's been a patron for a couple of true crime podcasts, but I'm the only one who covered the Jonelle Matthews case. So yikes. And then you have a picture of Steve Pankey uh, smiling. And uh, had joined your Patreon or May of 2019. So, yeah, can you take us through this? Okay, well, the Jonelle Matthews case I covered on the podcast in January of 2017. Uh, it was actually a request from a listener named Steve W. And a lot of people have asked me if it was actually Steve Pankey who requested it. But I just want to clarify right now that no it's an entirely different Steve who I'm talked to personally on Facebook so it's just an odd coincidence so no he did not actually request I cover the case on the podcast but uh, this uh, other Steve had an interest in it because it involves a 12 year old girl named Janelle Matthews who went missing on December the 20th 1984 in Greeley Colorado Uh, She had spent the night uh, at a Christmas concert uh, and was dropped off at home by one of her friends and her friend's father. And at the time, her mother was out of town and uh, her father and her older sister were at a high school basketball game that uh, the sister was playing in. So for about an hour, Janelle was alone at her house. Uh, She was dropped off at around 8.30 p.m., And then uh, when her uh, father and sister returned home at around 9.30, they discovered she was not there, but her shoes had been left behind, Uh, she had left a portable heater on, and there were footprints outside the, in the snow outside the house, so the evidence strongly suggested that she had been abducted by an unknown intruder. 
Uh, at the time that I originally recorded that episode, there were no real strong suspects, uh, at least none that were named publicly, so all I really knew for sure is that she was abducted by an unknown party and likely murdered, but we had no idea who. Uh, at the time Steve Pankey or originally joined on Patreon, it was May of 2009, but at the time he had not yet been named as a person of interest so I did not put two and two together. I had no idea he was affiliated with this case. Uh, but then in uh, July of 2019 they were doing an excavation project in a remote area just outside of Greeley to install an oil pipeline I think it was and they wound up accidentally coming across some human remains and they soon did DNA testing to positively identify the remains as belonging to Janelle Matthews. And shortly thereafter, they wound up naming Steve Pankey as a person of interest. Uh, by this point, he had long moved out of Colorado, he had uh, moved to Idaho, and even made some failed attempts to run for governor on two separate occasions prior to this, so he was kind of a public figure there. And uh, once he was uh, publicly named, he started doing a number of interviews uh, defending his innocence, saying that uh, the Greeley Police Department had it in for him, and that they were trying to frame him for this girl's murder. And at the time, I didn't put two and two together, because he had signed up for Patreon in May, before he was named as a person of interest. So I just did the standard thing where I send my patrons uh, stickers and a card thanking them for the, their support, but it wasn't until recently when I was going through my list of patrons that I noticed that Steve Pankey's name was there, and I double-checked, and because his photo was there, and he had done interviews on the news, I was able to verify that he was the same guy, and what was crazy is that he signed up for the my top-level te uh, top tier, meaning that he was pledging $10 per month, so to get all the bonus rewards. So uh, I always wondered, did he join, uh, the, did he find the podcast because he was looking for an episode about Janelle Matthews? But uh, if that was the case, uh, he must have legitimately liked it if he's willing to sign up for the top tier reward system and send me $10 a month. So it kind of shook me up. But it turns out that he has signed up for a couple of other uh, podcasts on Patreon, like Already Gone, The Vanished, and Traced Evidence. But the key difference is that my podcast is the one that covered the Janelle Matthews case. So that uh, pretty much shook me up when I found out. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm sure... Uh he was covering, I would, I would bet that he, you know, learned of your show because you covered it. I, I mean, that seems pretty, pretty obvious, even though the other ones didn't, uh, maybe didn't necessarily cover it as well. Uh, maybe, maybe your, your coverage introduced him to uh true crime podcast. Maybe he sent requests to them. We, we I guess we don't know. Well, it's crazy because when I did the episode back in 2017, I never mentioned his name because he had not been named yet as a person of interest. But uh, in the first uh, of this year, on New Year's Day 2020, I actually released a special update episode where I went over cases that I'd covered on the trail went cold that had either been solved or had uh, major developments. And I talked a little bit about Janelle Matthews, how her remains had been found, and that Steve Pankey uh, had been named as a person of interest. But at that time, I had not yet put two and two together and realized that Steve Pankey was one of my patrons. So he did hear a podcast episode where I mentioned his name uh, earlier this year. So <laughs> that kind of threw me for a loop. <laughs> It's uh, it's pretty incredible. Do you do you think um, he might be responsible for other crimes as well? Uh, because this one, 
um, I don't want to get uh, the victim lost in, in the amazingness of him connecting with you, because that's an amazing story that he connected with you, but the crime that he committed is atrocious. Uh, do you think that he's responsible for other crimes? Is that why he's listening to other true crime podcasts? It, they've never proven that yet, but it would not surprise me. Uh, I've been reading that he kind of ha- he worked as a youth minister and he went to the same church as the Matthews family and lived, I think, about two miles away from them. But as far as I can tell, they never personally knew each other. But it's possible that he had his eye on Janelle because he apparently had a reputation throughout the area at staring at the children. But uh, at this moment, yeah, it's kind of creepy. And uh, we don't know the details yet because this hasn't gone to trial. But I have always wondered how he could have known that Janelle was going to be alone on that particular night. Uh, They they found out when the neighbor or the friend of Janelle dropped her off uh, at 830 that night. They noticed that the garage door was open. But no one could be sure at that point whether uh, the family had left it open earlier that day or if the intruder who took her wound up opening it. So I'm always wondering, was he in the house waiting for when she arrived home? Uh, one other piece of evidence is that uh, when after Janelle arrived home, a uh, substitute teacher from the school where uh, Janelle's father worked as a principal actually phoned the house and talked to Janelle to leave a message. And uh, Janelle wrote it down on a notepad. So that's how they were able to establish that she was at home for maybe at least 10, 15, 20 minutes after she was dropped off. And then after she took the message, she was abducted. So I'm really curious to know if Panky was there already or if he was watching the house and decided, well, she's home alone tonight. Now is my opportunity. Yeah, that'll be interesting to learn more when uh, more case details come out. I wanted to ask one question about this Steve who uh, who made the request of this case. H- have you spoken to that Steve on Facebook after Steve Panky was arrested? Well, unfortunately, he has since passed away in another cruel twist of fate. Uh, he was actually a poster on an Unsolved Mysteries message board I often frequent. And Steve isn't actually his real name. He just posted under that name on the message board. But uh, after I did the episode, he re- uh, after I, he requested I do it, we connected on Facebook. And sadly, he died of brain cancer. And I think sometime in... 2018 which uh saddens me because he was like really interested in this case and i think it would have blown him away to see a resolution after all these years because i think he was worried it was never going to be solved but that's how i know that uh they're totally different steves because i used to communicate with him on uh, facebook until his family announced a few years ago that he'd passed away that's really sad did you know that he had um brain cancer Uh, I don't know when he got it. I don't know if he had it at the time when he originally made the request, but he used to post photos of himself on Facebook uh, talking about his progress with the disease, and unfortunately he was unable to beat it. Yeah, my God. Well, well, that's tragic. Now, this this tweet that you sent out was kind of like a uh, was kind of like an earthquake in the community of of uh, what we do, you know, of our peers. Anyway, I feel like. Um, really kind of shook the ground. Um, and I think it's mostly because everybody knows that this happens, um, that that people who are responsible for some of the crimes that we cover, um, they do listen and they are consuming this stuff. But this is one tangible example. And, and obviously, you're someone we know, someone this, is, this has happened to. Um, so I think I think that's one reason it really resonated with us and our uh, community of peers. 
Oh, yeah. Like, we've always suspected something like this. Um, there are probably cases right now uh, that we've covered where we don't know who the perpetrator is, but they could very well be listening. But I think the extra level was the fact that not only did we find out he was listening to the show, but he was uh, pledging me money, which he probably wouldn't have done unless he legitimately liked it. I mean, uh, he had been sending me $10 per month for a year and a half, so I received a total of about $150 in donations from him. So, uh, and I'm I, in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't know who he was at the time, and then I never really said anything about him on any of my episodes, like offered an opinion about his guilt or innocence, but uh, I can only imagine how he was feeling when he was listening uh, to my 2017 episode before he was named as a person of interest. You're wondering, is he kind of feeling, wow, they're talking about what I did, and I'm still getting away with it all this time. It's just so creepy to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's he's probably getting a, a bit of a thrill out of that or, or a major thrill out of that. Um, what was your intent? I'm curious uh, what your intent was in posting that uh, publicly and saying that this man was indicted in the crime. Was it uh, as a cautionary uh, tactic or an informative tactic or because I'm sure you must have had some some inner, you know, decision making to, you know, to decide on whether or not this should be in the public and people should be aware of something like this. Or could it just be something where you'd let the police know and let them, you know, silently go about looking at people's, uh, you know, contributors, donators, patrons? Uh, well, I, I kind of debated for a couple days, do I want to post about this publicly? Uh, because I had found out when he was arrested, I was just kind of shook up. Because for the first several months when he was a person of interest, I wasn't sure what to make of him. Because he was doing all these interviews, getting his name out there, and I'm thinking, well, if he was guilty, then maybe he wouldn't be doing this. Maybe he's just legitimately trying to clear his name. And I looked at the arrest warrant, and it seems like it's mostly a circumstantial case against him, that apparently throughout the years he has revealed details about the crime scene, which were not public knowledge, and so that's why they think he was personally involved. But I ultimately decided to make the decision to post about it almost as a cautionary thing to let people know that this does happen sometimes and here's tangible evidence. And even I was surprised just how much it blew up. Uh, I don't think I've sent out a tweet that got more reactions and comments and retweets. But uh, I know people who are, like, personally involved in a lot of the cases that uh, they feature on their shows, like you guys are with Maura Murray. Uh, I don't have any personal, like, uh, interaction in the Janelle Matthews case. I just thought it was a case I was interested in. But I know other people out there would probably like to know that... Uh, there is a good possibility that someone uh, who committed a murder in one of the cases you covered is listening. Yeah. And uh, I guess one of the things I thought when I first saw it was, holy shit, like, I wonder if Robin's okay. Like, how did, how did it make you feel? Well, I was uh, pretty shook up at first. Uh, just the idea that uh, a murderer, not only was he listening, but he was sending me money. It was just such a, a weird feeling. Uh, but I also knew that there was probably little chance that he was going to come after me or anything, because not only is he behind bars now, but uh, I live in Canada, and the borders are currently closed because of COVID. So, But uh, it always makes you think, uh, how many of these other cases that I've covered are the perpetrators listening, and I don't even know it? 
That is a super unsettling thought because there's so many true crime podcasters. There's so many criminals out there, and there's probably so many of those criminals listening to the true crime podcasts. This is a great example, a great um, thing that you've done by putting him out there and saying, hey, they actually are listening. Some of them are actually listening, and people should take some measures in watching what they post online personally. Like if you are a true crime podcaster and one of your family members posts you at, at some cookout that there's an address visible, you know what I'm saying? Like someone could very easily look into someone else and find out within a, a, you know, a few mile radius where you're located. It's probably not that difficult. So uh, I commend you for putting uh, this out there publicly I think it was a smart move. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I felt it was wise. And the whole Patreon angle is the fact that I have sent him stuff. So now I know, do not put my return address on there because I don't want any of them to be potential killers and know where I live when I'm mailing them envelopes. <laughs> right, right. That's that's bananas. You, I mean, <laughs> get a P.O. box, True Crime Podcasters. Listen to this. Get a P.O. box in another town, for God's sake. Don't put your return address on stuff. I mean, you never know. Oh, exactly. And I actually went back and looked at Steve Pankey's contact information, and yeah, I actually sent his stuff to a P.O. box in Idaho because I guess he was kind of a public figure there because he was a politician who had run for governor. So I guess he tries to keep himself separate. But uh, I was just kind of, when I looked at that, I was like, oh, my God, do I have this guy's address on file? But uh, that's the importance of P.O. boxes, I guess. God. Yeah, no, this is a great point. Yeah, privacy is very important. And I think in some cases, you need to put a return address, too, if you're to go into the post office and, and pay to send it. I think I think they need a return address. So you can't just it's not like you, if you're not dropping something in the mailbox. Um, so, yeah, P.O. Box is a good call. Pretty frightening. And it's certainly possible that uh, if I hadn't been going through my list of patrons a couple months ago, I might still not have put two and two together now. I might not have realized that he was still one of my patrons. And I guess he technically still will be uh, because I don't think he can cancel it from behind bars. So it's probably still going to keep charging his card <laughs> until it expires, which is another creepy thought. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you could just take that money that he's uh, giving to your uh, Patreon and, and put it towards... Um you know, a, a nonprofit or something, you know, you could, you could, you could just force the issue and make him do something good <laughs> without exactly him, without him knowing. Well, that's actually what I did with the money he had previously sent me. I, I donated it to private investigations for the missing, which you guys are a part of, and I will continue donating his money to good causes for as long as it comes in. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Tim and I are on the board and Michelle and Jillian, uh, they're on the board, and and uh, that's Bruce Maitland's nonprofit that he started in honor of his daughter Brianna. So it's hugely uh, appreciated that you did that, and uh, fantastic that it's um such poetic justice, really. Oh, thank you. And I know that the other podcasters I know who uh, he was a patron for, they're doing the same thing. They're con continuing to uh, donate all the money they receive from his Patreon to worthy causes. Well, that's that's really really brilliant way to handle that, and uh, you know, make make some make something really good out of it. So, yeah, thank you very much. I commend you for that, and the other podcasters as well. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And um, speaking, you know, with the case of Jonel, what were some other theories that were interesting in in that case that that you might have uh, discussed that uh, obviously don't seem as likely now? Well, they had a very interesting false lead in the case because uh, Janelle was actually adopted uh, by her parents uh, when she was a baby because her birth mother had only been 13 years old uh, when she gave birth to her in California, so she gave her up for adoption. And then I think it was in 1997, her birth mother finally contacted the Matthews family and said that I would like to reconnect with my daughter if that's okay. And not only was she shocked to discover that uh, her daughter had been abducted 13 years earlier, but uh, the police had actually put her under surveillance for several weeks without her even knowing it, just to see possibly if she found out and decided to kidnap her daughter. But because of uh, privacy laws with adoption, they could not tell her that she was under surveillance. Uh, They ultimately uh, cleared her as a suspect and figured out that she couldn't have been involved, but it was just a double shock for her to uh, not only find out that her birth daughter had been abducted, but that uh, the police had looked at her as a suspect and she didn't even know it. But uh, thankfully, she wound up becoming good friends with the Matthews family. They kind of bonded over this whole situation, but it just added to the whole tragedy. Wow, that is so bizarre. It's incredible. Has anyone from uh, Janelle's family reached out to you or any law enforcement reached out to you just to maybe get some information, like maybe something that they didn't know that he might have told you? Uh, no, not yet, but uh, I'm I'm still kind of anxiously awaiting that. Uh, I'm not sure if they will, just because my original episode did not talk about uh, Steve Pankey or anything, so uh, I don't know if there's much information on there, but uh, if they find out he was one of my patrons, they might want to like find out if he ever tried to contact me or anything, or uh, sent me any incriminating emails, so uh, time will tell. <laughs> what was the, sorry if I missed this, what was the uh, connecting evidence that led the police to actually arrest him because they you know he was a suspect for a while but what was that uh that that connection that brought them to him and actually arrest you know to arrest him well when they uh posted the news about his arrest they actually included the uh, original arrest affidavit and it sounds like it's just a combination of things um apparently they have looked at him as a potential suspect for years uh, or a person of interest but they never publicly named him until 2019 but uh, he is given he is apparently revealed stuff about the crime scene that uh, was never revealed publicly like that someone had used a rake to uh, try to cover up the footprints outside the Matthews residence in the snow he apparently said that to someone even though the police never released that information uh, he's given a lot of contradictory statements uh, he apparently had said that following Janelle's disappearance, uh, him and his wife and his son uh, decided to travel to California to spend the Christmas with his family, and he uh, had claimed in interviews that he did not find out about Janelle's disappearance until after they returned to Greeley. But uh, he has since divorced from his wife, and she is now saying that uh, 
uh, during the drive back, he was constantly checking the radio to try to find out news about Janelle's disappearance, even though he's claiming he didn't find out about it until after he arrived. So it's a combination of little things like that where he has said really incriminating statements, and I think they took it to a grand jury and ultimately decided this is strong enough to make an arrest uh, and take him to trial. Yeah, apparently he said in 2008 at his murdered son's funeral, it says here in the in the Denver Post that uh that Pinky Pinky said there that he hoped God didn't allow this to happen because of Jonel Matthews. And that's what his ex-wife uh told authorities. Yeah, that's a weird side story. I don't know much about his son's murder. I think uh, his son was murdered by his girlfriend in college or something like that. There isn't a lot out there. But yeah, apparently he said that at the funeral and she overheard it. And that's just another weird, creepy sign, which on its own might be strong, not be strong enough evidence. But combined with everything else, it does not look good for him. Yeah, that's a really, uh, really weird one. I guess I want to mention one more other uh, strange detail is that... Uh, I think in early 1985, they had a church service where uh, and uh, Panky was attending and the pastor said, uh, we hope that uh, Janelle is out there safely somewhere and that she will safely return home. And apparently uh, Panky had a complete meltdown and caused a scene when he said that and uh, was asked to leave the church, which some people have taken as a sign that uh, he knew that uh, she was not coming back. And that's why he reacted like this. That's just another small detail when combined with the other uh, all the others uh, looks pretty suspicious so in that uh regard he was expressing some sort of regret for it possibly yeah because um that's what people are wondering like if he is guilty like what the psychology is why he is continually putting himself out there and doing interviews and uh apparently like he would uh, like offer to help the police with information and i think there was one incident where he he casually said to them that i don't know if you'll find out who abducted janelle matthews and yet unless you offer the responsible party an immunity deal and does that mean that he was waiting to make a full confession if he knew that he wasn't going to face any legal consequences it's i think when he goes to trial and uh, this case comes to a conclusion it's going to be a really fascinating story just to look over all this guy's behavior over the past 35 years and just try to read into everything he said or did and try to figure out what his motivation was yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I see what you're saying here uh, in this Denver Post article says nine, in 1999, he sought out immunity deals uh, in exchange for revealing information he said he had on the killing. So yeah, he was on their radar for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, like when I recorded my episode in 2017, I had no idea that they had been looking at him. And uh, I know that he had a history of uh, legal problems with the law before this incident. There was a an incident in uh, 1977, I think it was, where he was charged with rape. And uh, he always maintained that the sex was consensual and the charges against him were ultimately dropped. But he has said in interviews that the Greeley Police Department has always had a grudge against him since then uh, because they could not make this rape case against him, which is why he's trying to add to the narrative that they're trying to railroad him and frame him. Uh, he goes on a lot of long, weird tangents in his interviews. So uh, anyone who's wants interest in this case, I highly recommend you seek them out. Just uh, because looking at them now in his interviews, you could uh, look at them in an entirely different light now that he has been charged with the murder. And you, you wonder, is he letting loose something incriminating here that uh, ultimately led to his arrest? It's uh, quite interesting. Was this, uh, was this rape um, 
a, a, a same-sex rape? Uh, no, it wasn't. This one was for a woman, but yes, I heard, I have heard him say that he thinks that they have tried to go after him because he's gay. Uh, I, what is the term he's used? I think he's used a term that he's kind of a non-practicing homosexual that... A celibate homosexual. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, I guess he's implying he's interested in men, but has not had any sexual relationships with them. So he's just using more and more excuses, blaming law enforcement, just throwing everything at the wall, but ultimately has never taken himself out of uh, talking about the case, which is, yeah, you're right. Some really bizarre psychology at work there. Oh, and also earlier this year in uh, early 2020, he actually tried to run for a local sheriff in Idaho, even though he was publicly named as a person of interest uh, in a murder investigation, which seems incredibly brazen. Uh, he didn't wind up winning, of course, not surprisingly, but just the fact that he decided to do so to begin with is just uh, out of this world. Do you think that he wanted to get caught? Do you think that he wanted this going on your you know your your patreon and and contributing monthly he, he must have had some sort of uh desire to get the recognition or maybe even get it off his chest that's what i'm thinking it's it's certainly a possibility because of the whole immunity deal comment that he made years earlier it's almost like i want to confess i want people to know i did this but i i don't want to serve time in prison for it it's almost like because they're, they're probably not going to offer you an immunity deal just because you confess to a murder so i don't know what his thinking was with that <laughs> yeah and he didn't even really say it was a confession he just said oh information um, it seems like so really kind of stringing them along. And so they probably weren't looking at him until he inserted himself. That's just my speculation. But do you think it's common for somebody to um, have their first crime that they commit be the abduction and murder of a 12 year old girl? Is that is that common? Or do you sense that there might be something that he had tried beforehand, maybe some attempted abductions? That's what I'm wondering. I'm really interested to find out his his backstory before this because he would have been in his uh, mid-30s when this took place and it just seems really, really calculated. Uh, and we're still not entirely sure of his motive because since Janelle was found, uh, she was skeletal remains when she was found. They've never been able to determine if she was sexually assaulted. And uh, they, they didn't release this until after his arrest, but her exact cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. And he apparently owned a firearm during that time period. So I don't know if this was his first attempt to try it. But uh, if he did, he got incredibly lucky that he managed to do it, do it at a point when she was home alone by herself on a school night and managed to get away from the scene before her family got home. Any interest in speaking with him if that uh, opportunity ever arises? I don't know. Like, I've heard some interviews with him, and he tends to go off on some long tangents a lot of the time. Like, he'll change the subject and uh, just drone on and on and on. So it's tough to know, like, if you will get any truth from him if you try to do an interview. <laughs> wow. God, fascinating. So, uh, Robin, what else is coming up on your show? Uh, what, what episodes do you have in the works? Uh, well, I'm going to be releasing a episode about uh, Patrice Endress, which was featured on Unsolved Mysteries back in July. Uh, it's going to be coming out in early November, and I'm currently working on a one from 1977 about the disappearance of a woman named Melanie Flynn, which is embroiled in what's something what's often been referred to as the Bluegrass Conspiracy, since there was a major drug trafficking 
trafficking operation in the late 70s and early 80s involving corrupt former police officers. And uh, she had uh, allegedly been working as an undercover informant and may have been romantically involved in one of the corrupt police officers who was running drugs. So there's been speculation that she was eliminated because she knew too much. But uh, to this day, they have still not found her remains. And uh, her father was actually a former Connecticut... Kentucky State Senator, and her her brother was a baseball player with the Cincinnati Reds during that time period, so he was semi-famous, so her family has done a lot to keep this case in the spotlight these past four decades, but it's still unsolved to this day. Wow, look forward to hearing that. According to your website, you have somewhere along the lines of 197 episodes. Is that pretty accurate? Is that up to date? Uh, it's even more than that, because uh, during the early days of my podcast, I alternated between longer feature-length episodes and minisodes, but I stopped doing the minisodes about three years ago. So in addition to that 197 episodes, we have 32 minisodes, so the actual total would be around uh, 230 cases uh, covered. Okay, that's 230 cases that you've covered. Was there any time in, in this uh, you know long... Uh, career of your of podcasting and covering cases was there any case that made you just want to stop or anything that that was happening externally of that case that made you want to stop or any of the cases uh not really um i i'm kind of lucky in the sense that i will just do one case then move on to the next one but uh I really like doing this. I like researching and writing and putting together these episodes. And uh, the Steve Pankey thing is probably the thing that has shook me up the most since I started doing it because that's the first time I learned that an actual uh, uh, accused murderer in one of my cases was listening to my episodes. But uh, thus far, I've been pretty lucky in terms of harassment or anything like that. So I'll continue to do it uh, as long as I can. Good. And we we promise we won't tell your uh, current daytime employer uh, how much time you've spent with us today or how much time <laughs> you just spend in general on true crime because uh, you should should keep your day job too as well just to be safe. You never know. Oh, exactly. Yes. I'd love to be a full-time podcaster, but I don't know how feasible it is at this point. But I'm happy to do both if I still can. <laughs> Great. And uh, I, I got to ask you about the uh, the episode on Netflix about Jack Wheeler. I, I watched that one recently. It's uh, volume two of Netflix's recent release, The Washington Insider Murder. I was really, uh, really into that one. I'm inclined to think that it was just a sad mental breakdown. I don't think he was murdered. Um, I had heard of the case in the news before uh, when, it, when he was originally found dead about 10 years ago and they kept calling it a murder or homicide. So I figured it was a conspiracy of some sort. But after watching the episode and just tracking his full movements, I get the impression that uh, he just had a mental break and probably died after lying down in the dumpster either from exposure or because uh, he was crushed when the garbage truck uh, picked up the dumpster. And I think they were just lucky that they managed to find his body in the landfill but uh uh i over it's a really interesting story but i ultimately think it's more of a sad tragedy than an actual murder do you um have a particular way you go about researching your cases or even finding the cases uh and and deciding which one's going to be next other than the unsolved mysteries uh connection 
Uh, well, I often get requests from listeners a lot of the time. That's how I found out about the Janelle Matthews uh, murder, just because uh, this uh, other, this other guy, Steve W., had requested it to me. So it's kind of an interesting mix where I do Unsolved Mysteries cases. Sometimes I'll do listener requests. or And then sometimes I'll find like an interesting case on Reddit, which I had never heard of before, but I just think sounds so interesting and would be the subject of such a cool episode that uh, I just decide to do it, even though I had never heard of it before. Uh, um, I kind of schedule my cases based on how much time I have to put together an episode. If it's one, if it's a case I'm familiar with from Unsolved Mysteries uh, for, for years, then uh, and I know I can do it relatively quickly, I'll do it when I'm short on time. But if it's one that's a major deep rabbit hole that requires a tons of research, I kind of put it on the back burner and schedule it for a later date. That's fair. And my final question here. Robin is about Maura Murray. You've covered you've covered all these cases, unsolved cases, missing persons cases. What are your thoughts on the disappearance of Maura Murray? I honestly have no idea. I mean, that one I've just gone so back and forth on. I mean, when I first heard about it many years ago, I, I almost went with the simplest explanation that she just uh, suffered a mental breakdown, wandered off into the woods and died of exposure. But then I think to myself, there's no way this case would have become so complicated if it had such a simple explanation. And I know you guys have dug up so much about this case that uh, I still wonder to myself, is there more to it than meets the eye? Um, I know, isn't one of the fringe theories that she escaped to Quebec to start a new life? Yeah, I mean, you could, uh, that's one of the fringe theories. Yeah, that's one of the theories. Well, I know that I live on the border of Quebec here in Ottawa right now, so when I sometimes have it in the back of my mind. I wonder if I'll bump into her on the streets of Ottawa or something, if she is still alive. But uh, I think that's, I don't know if that's likely. Well, I personally hope you do bump into her. I, I want to follow up uh, Tim's more Murray question with uh, a Brianna Maitland question. Have you followed uh, Brianna Maitland's disappearance? Not for a couple years. Uh, it was on Disappeared, right? The TV show? Yep. Yeah, I remember originally watching it on there, uh, but I haven't really delved into it for a couple years. But I do know that I get requests to cover it on The Trail Went Cold from time to time. So uh, maybe one of these days I will put together my own episode. Let us know if you do. And if you need any resources, we're totally here for you. Uh, the more attention that her case can get, the, the better. Okay, definitely. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot, Robin, for joining us here. We really appreciate uh, your time and uh, your work. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well done, uh, you know, putting that guy out there, Stephen Pankey, putting him out there and, um, you know, just making everybody aware of the reality of the situation. You're talking about real crimes, real criminals, real victims, uh, and it can be <laughs> real life uh, very quickly. University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. 